Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. <laughs> Kia ora everybody. I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. In this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Ariana, who takes us through her pregnancy and birth story during Level 3 lockdown in New Zealand. She was diagnosed with gestational diabetes in her third trimester, and she talks about how that complicated her pregnancy and sort of put a bit of a dampener on things, having to do the testing and everything like that in that later stage of her pregnancy, and how that helped her to make the informed decision of having a home birth. It's a really, really beautiful episode. I just absolutely loved recording it with Ariana, and she talks us through the Māori tikanga that they use throughout their pregnancy and birth, which is the Māori culture and how that played a part in their pregnancy and as well as their birth story. So a little bit different to some episodes that I've had on the podcast recently, which I just really love, and I want to bring you more of these stories. So super grateful to Ariana for coming on the podcast, sharing their journey with us, and I know you're going to love this episode, so let's jump into it. Hi, Ariana. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, kia ora, Jordan. Um, it's really nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No problem. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family? Cool. Yes. Um, uh, tēnā koe o tira, tēnā koutou katoa, ko hono mai ki tēnei pāhotanga. He kaupapa nui whakaharaharei whāngai ana ki ngā kōrero tukuiho uh, e pāna ki te whānau tanga o te pēpi, ko ai au, ko maua o te maunga, ko tauranga te moana, ko ngai te rangi me ngāti rangi nui oku iwi, he mokopuna hau no tauranga moana, ko Ariana Nisa wala tōku ingoa, ti hei maudiora. I just paid um, homage to my ancestral mountain, the waterways that connect me to my place in this world and my people and my ancestors. My name is Ariana. Most people call me Ari. I'm married to Mavai, and I acknowledge his tongue and ancestry. And on May the 4th this year, during Level 3 National Lockdown, <laughs> our first baby, Irina May, was born. I was born and raised in Tauranga in the North Island, and Habi was born and raised here in Otipoti, Dunedin. Um, we've lived in Dunners for nearly seven years now, and I work at the University of Otago as a lecturer in Māori Health. So, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you for the introduction. That was great. Um, and do you want to take us through what the journey to pregnancy was like for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the journey itself was really random. Uh, Javi and I got married in Raro last year in May and while we had talked lots about having babies at some point in the near future um, we really couldn't have expected our pregnancy to come around as quickly as it did. We were in a really good place in our lives like in 2018 we bought our first home 
um, obviously in May last year we were married and then in September last year we found out we were expecting our first baby so (laughs) it was it all really happened in that order it felt sort of like all the adult milestones hit us literally one after the other (laughs) I think I always thought it would be really tricky to get pregnant as um, I had always had the question mark over me regarding a possible PCOS diagnosis Mm I had some of the symptoms but if you look into it symptoms for PCOS are also quite general and it was never bad enough to warrant exploring any of that so um, one thing that stuck out to me is that in all the years hubby and I had been together we had never fallen pregnant so Mm. I think I really internalized that and thought maybe we'd never have the privilege of having any babies of our own I know that what may have helped my system to regulate itself again is that I started going to the gym a couple of years ago and made some slight lifestyle changes and it seemed to get my cycles back to normal my periods came like clockwork and I remember that time pretty clearly my period was one day late and that was just really different for me because (laughs) everything was on time Marva and I were at the supermarket doing our food shopping and we decided to buy a test for shits and giggles um we really didn't think anything would come of it (laughs) but we felt we needed to know either way when I got home we had dinner and I took the test I wasn't focused on it at all Um, and I was actually about to throw it out without even looking at it and I thought I'll look at it and it had two lines (laughs) that was the longest night of our lives because we went through every eventuality that the the, the test could be wrong or false Um, the next morning I rocked up to the supermarket at (laughs) 7.30am to buy another (laughs) test (laughs) we just felt like we had to know so I get home, test again and two lines appear We had never been pregnant before, as I said, so we felt this intense euphoria about our news Mm -hmm. and the possibility that this new life um, would bring for us. I still didn't really believe it, so I booked to see the GP and (laughs) I did some bloods and, yep, it was confirmed and everything was on track. So, yeah, that was just really, really awesome. Yeah, amazing. Very cool. And how were you feeling in your first trimester? Did you experience many pregnancy symptoms or morning sickness or anything like that? So I have to say, I actually didn't really have any symptoms. I went through my first trimester really well. And the only yeah. thing I really noticed was that I was exhausted all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But there was no sickness or anything like that. So I think, yeah, I think, you know, all things going together, it was it was really seamless and seemed to go on really well and no major yeah. complaints. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And what about the rest of your pregnancy? Did you choose to do the sort of standard testing that's offered in New Zealand? And did you find out the sex of your baby? Yes. So we had like the normal scheduled scans. Um, yeah. And we found out baby's gender at the 20 week scan. So yeah. Yeah, we found out that we were having a baby girl. Um, that made us even like more excited than before I guess and um so my my, like my pregnancy went really well I felt really good in my body like I never felt better so I loved being pregnant which is I I was really glad about um everything was fine um and I didn't encounter anything strange until the third trimester 
Um, so I had done like the GD test, gestational diabetes test mm-hmm. earlier on in my pregnancy. I think it was like 18 weeks or 24 weeks. I did the standard one hour test and I, that came back fine. And so, you know, we, we eliminated gestational diabetes. Yeah. And then in the third trimester, um, I did the two hour test and I didn't pass that test so it came mm. back that I had gestational diabetes so that was really strange for me yeah and did they send you for that two-hour test for a reason because I think usually if you do the first one you don't have to do the second one yeah I think um I can't even remember the reason oh that's right baby was measuring big oh, okay and they thought just given that I'm Maori um and have some history of diabetes in my whanau that um, mm-hmm. it would be a good idea to test again and just triple check because your baby was measuring yeah. really huge. And so, yeah, I went back and I wasn't even worried. I thought, oh, well, I passed the mm. first test. I'm obviously, like, and I don't feel unwell. Like, I feel like yeah. we're doing very well. And all other tests and stuff were fine. Like, baby was doing well and progressing. So when I did the two-hour test, I was close to 35 weeks pregnant. Yeah. So – yeah, I was really like kind of late in my pregnancy, and that's yeah. the and that when I found out I had gestational diabetes, it was the first day of level four lockdown. Oh no! Yeah, so I think that was a moment of my pregnancy that was a real like dark day for me. Mm-hmm. I remember my midwife calling me, and she's beautiful. She's she provided us with some really great support and care, and she. Yeah, she told me that I had gestational diabetes and I just remember sobbing, just sobbing mm, over the phone saying. and feeling really yeah. alone and isolated because it, all, all I heard was diabetes and we all know mm. kind of what that is. Um, and, yeah, and just knowing that we we're going into lockdown and I wasn't going to have the typical mm. support that would be available to me if we weren't in lockdown. So that was scary, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And what did you have to do, I guess, um, in terms of managing the gestational diabetes and over lockdown? And I can just, yeah, I can only imagine how that would have felt for you. So do you want to take us through, I guess, um, what the options were for managing it and what you had to do for the next, um, I guess, five weeks planned until your due date? Yeah, so they pretty much like jumped into action straight away. Um, A diabetes nurse called me from the hospital and mm-hmm. we just had, because it was lockdown, we just had a phone consult, you know, and she just talked to me about the types of food I needed to be eating. They hooked me up with like a pregnancy nutritionist. So it just felt like my team, my care team just grew overnight. And yeah. I had to, it was really strenuous. I really hated this part of my pregnancy because I had to keep a diary of every little thing I ate. And I had to pick up all these like medications from the chemist mm-hmm. in lockdown. And I didn't know how to use any of them because I wasn't able to learn in person how to use them. So I just yeah. taught myself yeah. on YouTube. Um, so mm-hmm. I was having to test my blood sugar levels every two hours and then eat after that two hours. Um, and to me, it just ruined my days because I was so mm-hmm. focused on, okay, like what can I eat? you know, what shouldn't I eat? Um, oh, and is that a high, you know, blood like sugar level mm. or should I be doing better? And also I think the thing that dominated my experience was just 
this horrible feeling of that that somehow I've caused this for my baby mm, and yeah. I couldn't, you know, keep my baby safe and I really yeah. questioned myself um, that whole time and just the fact that mm. I, I couldn't have any friends over the way that I might have before and, yeah. and no family around either. So it was just hubby and I managing those feelings of uncertainty alone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds so tough. I just, I, my heart so goes out to you because I can, I, I can absolutely resonate with those feelings of, um, you know, have I done something to cause this? And I know there'll be so many other mums out there who listen to this podcast in a similar situation. And just, it's really nice, I guess, comfort to know that other people go through the same thing. But yeah, I just so feel for you that you went through that in lockdown, like such a crazy, mm-hmm. crazy time to be going through something like that. Um, and yeah, that you didn't have the sort of normal support, I guess, that you'd have must have been so tough. Yeah, I think definitely with, um, you know, this being our first baby. So mm. really like me not having any idea about what it meant, like yeah. what it's like to be pregnant. And, you know, we were always hoping for the best. Um, and I think we we're just in disbelief that something had got us that far into mm. our pregnancy with our, you know, otherwise yeah. healthy baby. Yeah. And, you know, it meant that I had an obstetrician assigned to me as well. And then also my lovely midwife. So I think managing all of these people by phone Mm. and all of that was just really tough on me, like on my mental health. Yeah. Like that's what I struggled with the most. Um, And I guess some of the messaging around having gestational diabetes needs work because – it just almost made me feel like I was being negligent if I had a piece of bread. Mm And yeah. and it was hard because even if I didn't eat, my my blood sugar levels would go high. If I mm. did eat something and it was something good, like healthy, they would still be high. So I was kind yeah. of I felt doomed in all of that. But mm. I think my type of gestational diabetes was a stress induced one, where just yeah. the stress of having that condition um, really kind of made my blood sugar levels go out of whack. So I think Mm. that was a huge factor and just really um, bad mental health towards the end of my pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Cool thing. And did you do, I guess, because you were going um, into lockdown, did you do any like antenatal classes or birth education or anything like that um, throughout your pregnancy? Yes, I I had started an antenatal class like in the weeks leading up to lockdown. That mm-hmm. this is before we even saw lockdown coming, and so it was yeah. a six week course. Um, and to be honest, I didn't have a good experience of it. And your course wasn't out yet; otherwise, I would have done your yeah. one. Um, yeah. But um, I enjoyed the fact that I met other you know, mums and birthing partners mm. as well um, in that process. So I enjoyed the relationships we were able to make. But, um, yeah, I I felt that the antenatal class that I was enrolled in um, wasn't very diverse in nature. Yeah. And when I had asked the facilitator, you know, uh, on an observation of mine that there, were, there didn't seem to be any Māori mums or Pacific Island mums there mm. um, and wondered like what was going on. And she said, Oh, Oh, you know, it's because Maori mums drink too much and um, they, they're always drunk and they smoke. Oh and my because God. I'm, uh, you know, I'm coming from the place of being, um, you know, I work in the 
area yeah. of Māori health as well. So I think, and I'm trying to um, address directly those inequities in our health system. So it was very <laughs> yeah. real for me. And potentially I was the wrong yeah. person to like speak to like that. And I just said to her, perhaps it's your cultural or your lack of cultural framing that's the issue. Um, And I think she thought she didn't see that as a criticism. She came back to me and said, well, we can give you the contract to teach this stuff. And I I didn't (laughs) want to work for that place. So I said no. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it did highlight that area for me and that that's an area that needs a lot of work. Um, So, yeah, definitely. I only went to, I think, three classes and then decided it wasn't for me and it freaked me out more for my pregnancy journey and birth experience than um, alleviating any of my fears yeah 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 that is just absolutely disgusting I mean (laughs) yeah yeah. I just absolutely don't even have words for that um that lady and I don't think she should be in the educational (laughs) um realm at all by the sounds of it but that's a shame that you had that experience and did you find anything else um useful in terms of like birth preparation or did you have much of a birth plan or how you thought you might want your birth to go at that stage yeah so like even um when I had when I went to try and um find a suitable midwife for me and my whanau I um I went on the find me a midwife website and I filtered mm. out for a Māori or Pacific um, midwife and there aren't any down here. Well, that's what it was showing, that there aren't any. Okay. And I don't yeah. know, that kind of shocked me. <laughs> mm. But then it didn't surprise me either because there's a shortage. You know, there's there's a real mm. shortage of um, LMCs. So um, I decided, yeah. okay, yeah. I'm going to read all of their profiles, the ones that are available um, and see if and what they write about themselves that could be a fit for me. And I yeah. went with my first choice, actually, so that was great. Um, she was fantastic. She used a lot of kupu Māori and, like, Māori words. And that was yeah. – when I went to see her, I said, you know, um, te reo Māori is my first language and tikanga Māori, like Māori etiquette and customs, is something that's important to me. It's something that mm. shapes my world and my lens on the world. Um, would you be willing to, you know, come on this journey with me? Can we go on this journey together? And she was really excited for that. And also, yeah, awesome. you know, it struck me how open and um, open to diversity she was and holistic in her method of like birth practice mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I think we clicked on those levels. And that one thing she emphasised was she's not into interfering too much with the birthing process. And that was huge for me because I teach um, a module on women's health in terms of menstruation and pregnancy. And I had taught that for years yeah. without even having my own baby. But, you know, I taught kind of the traditional narratives in Te Ao Māori about birthing and how it's about the collective, yeah. and it's not an individualised process at all. Um, and so that's, yeah, we we had a really good relationship from then on out, and she just provided me, her and her team provided me with fantastic care that was really responsive yeah. to my cultural needs. Um, but mm, in terms amazing. of support, when I was pregnant, I was also booked in to do um, like a breastfeeding course, 
um, by mm-hmm. a lady, a wonderful lady called Denise Ives, who runs the Breast Room in Dunedin, which is a, a free support group for mums who are breastfeeding. Um, mm-hmm. And Denise works as a breastfeeding counsellor, and so free service um, provides a free service. And lockdown happened, didn't it? <laughs> so that course got <laughs> yeah. cancelled as well. So I, I had no idea about breastfeeding, and this is how naive I was. I thought, well, I've got boobs. I'm sure it'll work out. <laughs> That's all I knew, yeah. right? And and I thought, well, everyone yeah. in my family they've breastfed for generations and generations, and I was I was breastfed as well. So surely, like, mm-hmm. how hard can it be? They clicked on to how to do it. So surely that'll be me too. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was cancelled. But Denise, when I was pregnant, offered to Zoom meet with me, and she oh, awesome. ran me through kind of like some basics for how to get a baby to latch and stuff. But it's just not the same on Zoom. Mm. I I felt like I was listening, but yeah, I just didn't know how it would work in in practice. But yeah, yeah that's the only birth um education I had signed up for, and obviously none of it could yeah. happen. So yeah, yeah nothing really. Yeah. 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 And did you think that you might like to give birth in the hospital or a birthing center or at home? What were your sort of thoughts there? Um, from the start of my pregnancy, um, my midwife and I had explored that idea and talked in depth about home birth. And my <laughs> midwife had said, you know, she advocates strongly for home birth if that's something that I'd be interested in. And I really was like really interested in home birth. Um, and I had obviously done a lot of reading and research into home birth. Um, and it just seemed like the right fit for us even before lockdown happened. Uh, so that was always the plan. Um, she had explained to me that one of her other colleagues would come as well because you need two midwives for home birth. Yeah. And she also had like a birthing pool. So she was going to give that to me when I was close to having baby and then we were just going to do yeah. it at home. And, yeah, she was going to, you know, we were going to make it a beautiful experience. Um, yeah, and that was always the plan. We had talked so much about this home birth we were going to have. And and I had really done a lot of work in visualising what that could be like mm. and also thinking about what my own birthing preferences would be um, in terms of tikanga Māori, um, having my own uh, Māori customs upheld and yeah, those types of preferences. So I did a lot of work in that regard. Um, yeah. Yeah. And do you want to take us through how your gestational diabetes diagnosis threw a spanner in the works with that? Yeah. So it really did. Um, as soon as <laughs> I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes, I was talking to the gestational diabetes nurse and she said, you absolutely cannot have a home birth because you have GD and that's just the way it is. And mm-hmm. she said it with so little care and empathy for me. And and I said to her, well, no, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Thank you very much. So I really pushed up against the system. It was crazy. Um, and I felt like I, I just had this internal feeling that this isn't any of – how it was meant to be this isn't how it's Mm. meant to be um I want to control my birthing narrative and I want to have informed choice regardless of what my situation is but none of these people will give it to me I feel like I'm being managed and luckily you know I had a really good midwife and I 
because I had to go into the hospital once to meet with the obstetrician in person and he basically just felt my tummy and he said oh you've got a prop in there that's a big baby and (laughs) just after feeling my tummy and I think I was I don't know maybe 36 weeks and he said Mm. pulls his diary out and he says we need to um, book you in for an induction I don't think you should carry beyond 38 weeks and choose a date and and I didn't have anyone with me because I wasn't allowed to take Mm. anyone to the hospital so I'm sitting there I'm unaware of induction like what is that are there types of induction is there any information he he didn't disclose any of that to me and mm. he also never asked me if I had any questions. So I felt bullied almost into mm. doing what he said because there's such a hierarchy there. Mm. You know, he must know best. I must be doing um, worse by my baby. So I should just do what he says. And so I book yeah. in a date that, because he said, and I leave the hospital really, really upset and frightened. And I never um, had that fear before in my pregnancy and it really got me because I work in a role that advocates for you know addressing health inequities and then Mm. here I was on the ass end of the system not able to speak up I lost my power like I felt like I lost my power and I thought, geez, if this is happening to me, what happens to other whānau and individuals in Mm. this instance? And, um, yeah, I was really upset and I rang my midwife and I just had a big talk to her um, and I said to her, surely there's something I can do. Surely I've got options. And she said, you absolutely do and you know you can say no. And that was profound in my whole pregnancy journey because I didn't know that I could say no and perhaps mm. other women don't know they can say no either. And yeah. it shifted everything for me. She said, you know what, home birth is more philosophy. So if it happens that you have to give birth in the hospital, we will still make it beautiful for you. We can do all of those things wherever we are. Mm. And I think that put me at rest. So we really explored more, knowing that home birth might not be an option for me. We explored having baby in a hospital and what that might entail um, and every type of eventuality so that I was informed. Uh, But also we were thinking, you know, I I said to her, I think I want to decline the induction I just booked. Mm-hmm. because what you know that's only 38 weeks I'm not in distress baby's fine um I feel otherwise well if I manage my gestational diabetes can we just run let it run its course a bit longer and see how it goes and she she absolutely mm-hmm. backed me and and a big factor for me was checking with her that this was within her scope that she felt comfortable yeah. as well like if I was to yeah. have my home birth um, would she still be okay with that? Is there way? Are there ways to manage um, my blood testing, sugar testing mm. as I'm in labour and stuff? And she said absolutely. And she also told me that you know things are really an emergency straight away. They you know will have there'll be signs that we need to do something more. So we've mm. got time. And I actually live really close to the hospital, so you know all of those things, um, those factors came into it. Um, and yeah. so my 
midwife met me at the hospital and we went to see the obstetrician a few days later together. And um, I asked the doctor if he was inducing me based purely on the fact that baby was measuring on the big side. And he said, yes. And I said, is there any other reason? And he said, no. And I said, well, I just have to have faith in my body. So I'm going to choose to decline that induction I booked with you. And I think he wasn't even used to someone turning an induction down. <laughs> so he, he was like, looked at me real random, like, what's this chick on? And my mm. midwife stood there and supported me wholeheartedly. And I walked out of there feeling like I had picked up all my courage and taken it home with me. Mm. It was the best moment of my life, really. I felt like I was protecting my baby and protecting my mm. body. And I was really informed about my options and, yeah. I st- stood up for myself. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Good on you. And do you want to take us through um, what sort of happened from there? So did you end up going into labour spontaneously and how far along with you? And then, yeah, what happened from there? Yeah, I um, I did go into labour spontaneously at 37 weeks and four days. So it was really <laughs> random. I hadn't even tried to get this baby out Though I was really, really hoping that that would be the case um, because I was scared that if baby didn't come by her due date or was a bit late that I'll definitely need that induction. So Mm. the fact that she came without even trying, like I hadn't tried to go walking up steep hills or eat spicy food or anything like that. (laughs) Um, I just woke up one morning and thought, oh, that might be Braxton Hicks. It's not that bad. It's fine. I can still do stuff. And then my midwife, and also she had a beautiful um, student midwife with her as well, who was also mm-hmm. sharing in my care, like looking after me as one of her cases. Um, they came over during the day and like there were regular kind of contractions, but it wasn't anything that I couldn't manage. I wasn't really freaked out about it, but I didn't really think I was in labour either. So I just said, oh, no, it'll be fine. They thought, oh, it'll be like a week away or something like that. My <laughs> mucus plug had started to go. And so <laughs> I thought that was really strange. Never seen that before. Um, but, again, I was able to still clean and do all of those things. So I thought it's fine. Uh, so they left. And then, yeah, the day just progressed normally. Um it was just hubby and I at home just chilling out watching movies doing all that stuff and then the night time came and they started to really ramp up and I was just like man like I think I am in labor I I really think I'm in labor um but I was still able to talk so I thought oh this isn't like the movies (laughs) this isn't like what I think it should be like um so I, I, I won't call my midwife I don't want to disturb her she's probably tired um, so yeah, I don't want to ring her till it's like time to have this baby. And so I just kind of leave it alone with hubby sort of thinking, is she going to have this baby? I got him to get to pump up the birthing pool in the lounge because I felt like it was time. And so he pumps it up and starts filling it and stuff. And I think, oh my gosh, it's so close. I rang my mum on video call and <laughs> my mum just lives up the road. So she comes up and... My sister's also on video call and she says to me, oh, I bet you're not even in labour. And that yeah. just made me get angry. <laughs> like, you're yeah. making fun of me? I am in labour. Mm. I think I'm in labour. 
And honestly, though, I was scared that I wasn't. So I was trying to like be strong and stuff and because I don't want to be bummed out. And so I was thinking, oh, I don't want to get anyone over and then it's nothing. But my mum came over and um, bought like some drinks, some cold drinks and stuff. And her and I started watching like a horror movie because I love horror (laughs) movies. And so that's when my – that's where my contractions started going full on and we started using an app to check how far like the timing in between each contraction and it just was like a minute in between and they were just getting real intense but then they would button off (laughs) and then there'd be like a 15 minute gap in between so we just couldn't really be sure but at that point my toes were curling over and I was holding on to the kitchen bench and I couldn't really focus on the movie. So things were just getting really intense really quickly. And um, the puppy had filled up the birth pool and we hadn't even told the midwife yet. And I decided I'm just going to sit in there and see if it makes me feel better. And it did. It was The water was really grateful pain relief for me. Um, yeah. I wasn't sure if I would like it at the time but it was mm. fine it was it was okay but then um nothing was really happening so I decided to get out of the pool and walk around and I tried to labor on the toilet um I felt like a pool to be on the ground like on solid ground though like the bed was real uncomfortable for me um yeah. so I, would, I was just down on all fours um bearing down and yeah I just felt like things were progressing and then I rang my midwife because my mum said, oh, they're a minute apart. I think you should ring her. So I rang her <laughs> and I couldn't even talk. Like it was that that full on. And she thought, oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've come over now. And she comes over with um, the student midwife and another uh, registered midwife as well. So I had three of them here. And it seemed to progress really quickly. But I know in between my contractions, I was saying some crazy things like, I want to be the dad next time. And and I was saying, I want to have a nap. And I would say, I'm going to have a nap now. I'm just going to have a nap because I'm too tired. Mm. And then another contraction would come. So apparently it was like a big comedy show for those who were spectating. (laughs) Um, I had like my whole family on video call because they couldn't be here. So I had them as well as just my mum, hubby, and um, the the midwives here supporting me through my birth. I had my Spotify playlist on, so that was cool. I had that organized. Um, and then things started to heat up. I started to feel the urge to push really fast. And yeah. I, even though my midwife, like, I had no checks whatsoever um, during my um, labor, mm. zero um, checks. But I felt yeah. like I wanted her to check to give me reassurance that, I really do need to push. Um, so she checked and she said, oh, yeah, you're 10 centimetres. You can go for it. And so I went straight into the pool and I wasn't in there very long and I think it was about three pushes and baby was out. And it was the oh most beautiful, beautiful, fast um, birthing experience. I mean, I don't have anything to compare it to, but mm. it just it felt really spiritual and it felt – like just the best thing I've ever done. Um, I felt mm. accomplished. I felt proud of my body um, and mostly proud that we had been able to achieve that against all the odds stacked against us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful vibe in the room. Um, the lights were dimmed down and baby 
she came out so quick though that her her hand was by her face. Oh, yeah. And so I did have an injury because of that. But um, other than that, yeah, it was just all the things women talk about. And I had listened to your podcast during my pregnancy. So all the <laughs> things women had talked about, um, about birthing their baby and how beautiful that was, um, really resonated with me at that time. It was a beautiful birth. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And did they pop her up straight onto your chest and did you spend a little bit of time in the pool or what sort of happened once she was um, born? Yeah, so when she came out into the water, she was actually just swimming through the water. Like I didn't even know she was out. (laughs) And they they had this little torch and they were saying, oh, there she is. And she had swum under my legs and she was (laughs) just looking up in the water. She wasn't crying. She was pretty calm. And I put her up on my chest and she just laid there and snuggled in. And when my husband spoke, she just looked up at him like she knew him. It was the most beautiful. That was my favorite moment of um, the mm. birth was that connection that baby had to him and to us mm. and how calm she was. But, yeah, we had um, lots of time in the pool. And then um, I got out of the pool and went to my bed to birth the placenta. I feel like yeah. not many people talk about the placenta because yeah, I yeah. hadn't read anything about it I thought I was done like I I thought yeah. I was done and <laughs> I yeah. get in my bed and I'm like blissed out with my new baby and I feel like a million bucks uh <laughs> and then um they're like oh you know there's another stage to go so you'll feel some like contractions again and I thought what and then they said, oh, you know, you still got to birth your placenta. And oh, no. And so um, mm-hmm. it took a while for my placenta to come to, to come out. And um, But I, nothing needed to happen. Um, my midwife was just monitoring that. And I yeah. felt a contraction. And, yeah, the placenta was birthed and that was fine. Um, so baby and I just hung out in our bed for a while. So she was born at about 3 o'clock in the morning. And then the midwives were still here monitoring and then they had to check for um, any type of like birth injury. And Mm -hmm. they were, they weren't sure whether it was third degree tear or second degree tear. Um, Just about, and um, I know the student midwife because she facilitated the birth. I know she felt terrible because she could see that the baby, um, arm was by her face but didn't have enough time to correct it because baby just kind of mm, yeah. came out fast and I said oh yeah. don't worry about it it's it's totally fine um mm. and so they weren't sure and they said maybe we should just go into hospital to get that checked out properly um so mm. at about 6 a.m we ventured into the hospital um and it was weird during lockdown because you still got questioned at the door mm, yeah. about like you know all the safety yeah. questions and stuff so I get wheeled yeah. in there on a wheelchair because it's kind of hard to walk and um I was seen by an obstetrician she was lovely and I got gas for the first time because I've never had gas before <laughs> and it was great um yeah. but she found that potentially I only had a second degree 10 not a third so that was great and I was um I went to surgery straight away um to correct that to get that repaired and then I was back yep. with baby and I only had to stay in the hospital for one night but it meant hubby couldn't stay because of COVID Mm-mm. so yeah. yeah I found I felt just just being alone in the hospital was real hard 
um, mm-hmm. because I loved baby and I loved looking at her and stuff, but it was hard to get up after having like a spinal yeah. block because I had a spinal block yeah. so they could do the repair, which was fantastic because I felt nothing, which I, mm. I totally rate. But yeah, I just felt like, like this is the biggest moment of my life and I'm alone. Yeah, you know, yeah. and my body kind of felt like it was in tatters, and mm-hmm. I had this new baby to care for. But luckily, it was just um, a night in the hospital, and then I could go home. Yeah, yeah. And how did you feel um, going home? And I guess yeah, adjusting. Now you've got this beautiful little baby to look after, and you're still trying to recover, and your hormones are all over the show. So how did you find that first sort of week or couple of weeks after you gave birth with, um, yeah, adjusting to your life as a mum? Yeah, it was a huge adjustment, and I was exhausted. Um, yeah. But luckily for us, baby was a great sleeper, and maybe perhaps it's in her nature because she's still like that now, where she would just <laughs> sleep through the night. And Good so we were potentially getting more sleep than what we ever had before. Um, so she was just great, like a real um, a treasure, really. Um, we really enjoyed mm. bonding with her and stuff. So I felt like my mental health was really great within the first two weeks of baby coming home. But just in the later stages and the later weeks that came, that followed, um, I got real down in the dumps. And, um, mm. yeah, postnatal depression um was huge for me and there is a real lack of support um for mums that are feeling isolated especially when you genuinely are isolated because of COVID um and the fears were different this year as well like we were scared to let anyone you know like even when lockdown um finished scared to leave the house I was scared to let anyone near the baby um, so I think all of those feelings and fears compounded it. Mm. And then physically, I found my recovery so great. Like I had really bad hemorrhoids in my pregnancy um, because yeah. of the iron supplements I was on. They just didn't oh, yeah. work for yeah. me. And it was awful. Like I never experienced that before in my life. And then suddenly mm. I've got these major, what they, they, they're major hemorrhoids. And I was really scared to give birth because of them. But actually somehow... Mm. They went away with birth and oh, amazing. things were great. Yeah. So I thought, oh, wow, this is great. Like, so um, all of those things physically, I healed up within 10 days. Um, yeah. So everything dissolved and there was no complications in my healing or any, any of that. Um, so that was good. But I really struggled with breastfeeding and actually, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I just couldn't get a latch. I had... Um, I saw a, a lactation consultant, but just despite that, I saw her three times and nothing was helping. Baby just struggled yeah. to latch. Uh, and I struggled with the technique for breastfeeding. And mm. it was really, really impacting me because online is just so much about breast milk being the best thing for babies. Mm. And I just felt yeah. like I was failing miserably um, at that. So, I would have rathered birth 10 times than breastfeed at all. Mm, um, that yeah. was the hardest, demanding, grueling thing for me in my whole like motherhood journey was the breastfeeding. Mm. And I, when lockdown ceased, I went to see Denise Ives at her um, drop-in breastfeeding centre. Um, and she said, oh, I think, um, I think baby has a tongue tie. She was six weeks by mm. then. 
and she said that um, there's a dentist in Dunedin that can um, cut the tie. And so we decided to go private to that dentist and get that sorted as soon as possible. But she said there's still been no guarantees because baby was six weeks and, yeah, just mm-hmm. really struggling with that. So I thought, oh, we've got nothing to lose. We'll do it. So we got the tie cut and did lots of um, different mouth exercises with baby to get her, known, like, to learn how to suck and latch again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to no avail, unfortunately, we I tried my best to breastfeed for the first eight weeks of baby's life and yeah it was the the hugest decision I had to make was to stop um breastfeeding at all and I had to stop you know I stopped pumping because I was pumping I was mix feeding her formula and Mm -hmm. I was trying to breastfeed all at the same time and to me that was like my whole day and night was just like obsessed Mm. with trying to keep my milk supply up trying to keep her fed and not really knowing um, what to do either way. Mm. So, yeah, it took a lot of um, time and tough conversations to decide that for my mental health, the best thing for me was to um, stop breastfeeding and just move baby to goat's formula. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you find um, the postnatal depression and your sort of mental health after you gave up with the breastfeeding? Did you find that that, helped and made a significant improvement in your mental health or did it take a while what sort of support were you getting there I think it took a while um yeah to feel a little bit like me again um Mm. I think what was hard with my mental health was that I I, I'm always moving around like even before I had baby I was teaching I was lecturing a day before I had baby I was still running online lectures So I was still working all the way through lockdown. And so I think the fact that I had stopped working, stopped having a routine for myself and put all of baby's needs first really screwed with me. Um, And I just didn't, you know, recognize who I was anymore. Like my body Mm. was different and it felt jiggly. Um, and I wasn't mad about that. I think um, we do an incredible job to carry these babies and sustain life. That's a beautiful thing. Um, but I just, when I stopped breastfeeding, then I was left with those feelings of like, oh, I'm a bad mum because I couldn't do what most mm-hmm. women do, which is breastfeed. So I think what really helped and the support that was there um, was was fantastic once I had found it. But it's hard to find. So, mm. um, and potentially I had found the support way too late in the piece. My outcomes yeah. probably would have been way better if I knew where to go for the support in the first place. So I mm. think that's huge. Um, but, yeah, I um, found that there's a service um, in Dunedin that supports women who have just had babies. And if um, they're stressed and um got a little bit of postnatal depression they will sort out any services you need at your home for free like cleaning and stuff and meal prep mm. and all of those things like I didn't even know that until basically I was going back to work but um, mm. there's supports like that but also I found a brilliant New Zealand like organization called Mother's Milk New Zealand and yeah. they donate breast milk 
to mums who either don't have a supply or are unable to breastfeed their own baby. So yeah. that's actually what yeah. I did when, when I made the call to stop breastfeeding. I contacted the organisation um, and they freighted me in litres of milk, breast milk, um, mm. and I obviously vetted the blood results of the mama who was sending it to me. Um, and that went in my freezer and I was able to give baby breast milk for quite a few months after I stopped breastfeeding. So it was feeling like manageable, I think, that I could give her Mm. breast milk, um, but also look after me too. So that was a huge move in improving my mental state and ensuring Mm. that there was some space and time for me to just do the things I needed to do, like shower, eat. All of those things. And I think a lot of my recovery was about learning that it's okay to ask for support and help and Mm -hmm. that it doesn't mean that I'm weak. It just means that I've had a little baby and that's a lot to cope with and that's fine. So I think it was a journey for sure. Um, But we got there in the end. Yeah. 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 I think it's um, that mother's milk. I just am, yeah, I absolutely love that organisation and – I've followed their sort of social media journey for a while, but yeah, I just think it's so amazing what they do. So it's really cool to hear that you use them. Yeah, I think um, I've, because when I found out about them, I've had lots of conversations with other uh, mums who are expecting a baby or who already have a um, babies and they never knew about that organization. So Mm. when I tell them about it, it kind of helps them as well to know that there is an option if they need it. And if they're struggling, yep. there are, you know, organisations out there um, that can assist them and support them through, you know, what are sometimes real uh, dark times and it's hard to speak mm, yeah. to anyone about it. Yeah, and I, I don't yep. believe that any of us should isolate ourselves if there are mm. beautiful supports out there for us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. And I guess um, just before we close, I'm really interested to know how, I guess, the Māori sort of traditions and um, culture came into play um, after your birth. So did you do anything that was special to you and your whānau or what, what, um, yeah, what special things did you do there? Yeah, we did. Um, We... um, just before baby was born, we made, we weaved baby's wahakura, her um, like baby bassinet, I guess, out of the yeah. flax from our garden. So oh, wow. that was so special because um, my best friend, she's a really good weaver, and um, she we- wove this beautiful wahakura for baby, and it just yeah. meant so much because when we think about tikanga Māori what we're really thinking about is, you know, it, it represents the way of doing things and it refers to the way we understand things. And, you know, it, it ensures this cultural safety around the birth process for women. Mm. So with that, with that wahakura made for baby, it meant that she was breathing in the fibres of home and actually she was born here as well. So um, that connection to the land, to whenua, to papa to her genealogy of like being Māori um, was strong um, but also we had um, muka flax tie so we yep. tied that around her pito when when she was born and so and also I found that that healed really quick that came off within days naturally because uh, um, okay, they usually use a plastic clip right yes 
absolutely yeah. they actually yeah use yeah. that but even um now i see that um there's you know advocacy to use muka flex ties for mm. everybody um and yeah. that's a brilliant option um and you can make it yourself there's heaps of flex bushes around so you can <laughs> just make it yourself and strip it back um so that you've got that practice but also yeah. i think it, it's about what is important to us especially during that time of bringing life into the world so we had um you know the home birth for me fit best with our tikanga Māori because mm-hmm. it was about the collective. And also, I think if it wasn't for lockdown, I probably would have caved and had baby in the hospital. But yeah. the idea that I would birth alone was so pushing up against yeah. my tikanga, my customs, and that that further encouraged me to pursue a home birth. But also yeah. this this notion of karakia, we use prayer for baby. So when she came into this world, we had prayer for her. Um, and it's really not, not religious, but it's about having, you know, gratitude for this new life that's yeah. come into our world and welcoming her in that way. And it's about, uh, I guess, holding space. Lots of midwives talk about holding space. But truly, tikanga allows for that cultural safety, enough mm-hmm. for a woman to be comfortable, to have her wishes respected, um, to be yeah. informed. Um, and I think that's what my tikanga Māori did for me. And the fact that the care team, our, our beautiful midwives, were supportive of, of that 100%. And then with the whenua, the placenta, uh, about two weeks after baby was born, we buried that in our backyard with our whānau there. So we had a little ceremony where we were all spaced out because of um, (laughs) the social distancing. And um, each of us, we went around, and this is a tikanga of ours, where we speak our intentions over baby and her life that she'll lead. Um, So my husband's parents were there, as were mine, and then my siblings and our friends and stuff. And we all just spoke love into Irina, um, and we planted that uh, placenta, that whenua, into our whenua. So, you know, the significance of that is huge, you know, saying that we come from the land and so we'll return to mm. her as well. So her yeah. first, you know, stake in the ground is there, and every day we can watch her plant grow um, just as we nurture her and as she grows older with us. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. That is so beautiful. Cool. And is there um, anything else that you'd like to share about any of your journey or your birth or postpartum period um, that we haven't included before um, we close up? No, I, I think um, what was most important is for me was to le- lean into all of my own understandings and to really yeah. tune into my body um, because yeah. there's so much information out there and it's coming at us fast and it's fast and all mm. of that. But but I think um, you know it's there's a call for us all to step back into our own bodies and take on our own perspectives and think really yeah. about you know tikanga are there for everybody they speak of preferences so to really think critically about what our preferences are and to have uh, a supportive um, maternity care system that mm. can work with that and can gauge what someone's preferences are but also where they're uncomfortable. 
And yeah. I, I think all of those experiences have um, encouraged me to complete a PhD in this area. Mm-hmm. So awesome. that's my next um, goal for next year. So I'm looking at the pathways for Māori women to and through pregnancy care in Aotearoa. So yeah. that's my next project. I'm really excited to gather the narratives of other women um, mm. who've had um, diverse experiences, I think. It's an important area, and I would never have really known that or appreciated it as much if I hadn't gone through yeah. um, the challenges that I went through. But also to see yeah. that there's so much beauty in the birthing process. Yeah. 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 Well, amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. I have absolutely loved talking to you, and I could probably talk to you for hours about your um your pregnancy and your birth and your postpartum period. So I'm super grateful that you've come on and shared with us all. And yeah, I just, um, I think your story will be really appreciated from um, a huge, a huge number of listeners. So yeah, really grateful. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. And again, happy new year. If you were listening to this episode live, It's been a massive year for Kiwi Birth Tales and I am looking forward to bringing you so many more awesome episodes in 2021. Hopefully it's a better year for everyone, but yeah, just a huge shout out to everyone who's been on the podcast this year and shared their stories with us. Looking forward to bringing you so many more next year. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.